Hi, this is Charlie Peck with the Thriving School Community Podcast, and I have Dr. Rebecca Heiss today. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on, Charlie. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited too. We're connected through New Horizons and it's the Speakers Bureau. And so we're all doing some work there. But really, when you did our keynote for our virtual summit for thriving under pressure in our school system, <clears throat> oh my gosh, the response was awesome. Do you hear that a lot? You get a lot of good feedback? <laughs> you know, it's funny. I thank you for saying that, first of all. Uh, and I, I said something to the uh, to somebody the other day after I gave a keynote, and I had all these people coming up and thanking me for it. And I was like, wow, this, this feels so good. I was like, the reality is this is my job, right? And wouldn't it be nice if we all gave standing applause, you know, standing ovations and applause and laud and, and all of this love to people just doing their jobs? Like teachers every day, you guys are doing way harder work than I do. And yet I'm saying they're getting standing ovations. So it just, it, it hit me like, this is how, how, how ironic it is that, you know, I get paid to, to have people, you know, stand there and, and applaud me. And you guys are the ones that are doing all the hard work. So let me just give you a standing ovation today. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, do educators and leaders need that right now in education. Right? So thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and so it's really neat that you were able to meet the audience's needs of people who are connected to our schools who are struggling. Now, I always say not everybody's struggling all the time. And it's not always doom and gloom, right? It's not yeah. always. Yeah, for sure. Right. But when it's when it's not working well, when we're not functioning well, can you tell people what are what's going on? And I obviously before we do that, we need to tell people like what your background is. I think like <laughs> sure. being a stress yeah. physiologist, can you tell people yeah. more about that? Absolutely. So my background is in stress physiology and evolution in human behavior. So I study the way our brains operate under stress and basically how we make terrible decisions because our bodies and our and our minds evolved to keep us alive. And that's pretty much it. So our brains are built for three minutes of screaming terror across the savannah, right? After which the stress is over because either you're dead or, you know, the tiger didn't get you. So unfortunately in the, in today's modern world, that's, that's not particularly helpful. You can't just go screaming away every time an email comes in. Uh, and so these, these stressful situations in the modern environment have to be dealt with in a different way. And so it's my job to help people understand what's happening in their body and then work with their stressors rather than against them to, to sort of transform that stress into fuel rather than sit in that fear. That is so important, Rebecca. So we need to dive deeper into that because sure. it is a physiological response. And that's Absolutely. what we're seeing as behaviors. Can you explain that connection then a little deeper? Yeah. So our, our brain immediately goes into that fight, flight, freeze response, um, which means, you know, typically what we do is we either run away from it. We avoid the problem, right? We're just like, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to deal with it. And inevitably, you all know how what happens, right? That just builds. Um, we fight. So we hit that reply all and we type that testy email or whatever that is. Um, we push back, right? We have that defensive that defensive uh, thing come up and we start, start getting angry about it. Or we freeze, which looks a lot like this, right? It's just sitting, starting, appeasing, um, procrastinating. So, so those are our typical responses to stress. And um and again, they're not, they're not particularly useful today. So one of the things that I help people with is to recognize, uh, I use the T minus three technique. Uh, so what that is, is, is three minutes of screaming terror. Give yourself those, those three minutes, right? Preferably in another room away from the, the stressor. So if you've got, you know, something going on, somebody comes to you and has, you know, elicits a stress response, excuse yourself for a second. If you, if you can take three minutes to just, let me come back to this. I'm going to get back to you. 
great technique, right? Get, yeah. can, I, can I get back to you on that? Allow yourself to feel the stress because what too many people do is they try to ignore it or they suppress it or get, get rid of it. All these stress reduction techniques. You know how it feels when you're stressed out and somebody says, oh, just calm down. Mm -mm. right immediately you're like i want to punch that person yeah that's your fight response coming out right so give yourself those three minutes to really stress like don't judge yourself for it and then i recommend taking two deep breaths so this is the physiological side and what it does is it actually brings our brain back online because normally uh when we breathe we breathe subconsciously all day long which is good you don't have to think about it but if we consciously take a breath, what we're doing is we're activating the frontal lobe. So now we're bringing this gift, this where we make cognitive conscious decisions from, we're bringing this back online. We're saying, okay, we've outrun the tiger. We've given ourselves three minutes. We survived. Now what's the conscious cognitive smart thing I need to do? And then the last step, um, the final step of the team out of three technique is um, to get curious. So curiosity and fear cannot coexist. So I ask people to ask a question. And it can be as simple as like, is it a tiger, right? And the answer is no, it's not a tiger, which means these stress responses that I'm having don't work anymore. So what's the best thing that can happen? You know, what other outcomes might, might be possible? What might I learn from this? We start getting curious and curiosity displaces the fear. So that's the, that's the whole process to walk through as you're, as you're feeling those stress responses arise. Yeah, those are awesome. And, and uh, one thing that's, pop well, there's a lot popping up in my mind, but the one thing yeah. that I would like to ask you is when you don't have three minutes, then mm -hmm. what? Because times we have 30 kids, sometimes way more you. than that in front of us, um, or yeah. a whole group of people in front of us, and they're looking at us. What do you do then? That's such a good question. That's such a good question. So in that case, you have to be the self-regulator. So you skip right to step two and take one solid grounding deep breath. And here is what I need you to promise me. You return to that stressor later on. You sort of compartmentalize it. You stick it back in your brain. And then later on, you have to process it because otherwise it, it starts to build and build and build. And then you see those people explode, like, or they have heart attacks or like, you know, a thousand, because they're not processing that stress. And it turns out it, when we ignore it, because we don't have time in the moment or for whatever reason, um, we actually have worse outcomes. We, we try and numb it. We try and um, people get fired over things like this. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so yeah, just come back to it at a later point in time. Okay. Great so question. as an educator, we make, yeah like 1500 decisions a day. I mean, for educators, oh gosh, you're making so much more than that. Yeah. <laughs> and more, like 50, right. 000. Yeah. At a minimum. And, and whatever the science is behind that, there's lots of different data to show, but yeah. educators tend to make a lot more decisions in a day. And so when we talk about being like compartmentalizing, we're super good at, we're great at compartmentalizing. Right. So yeah. all of those things that we're tucking back in to look at later or process later, there's a couple of problems with that, that I'd love for you to address. Cause I know, you know, this Sure. number one, there's a lot of them. So how do you even yeah. have time when you have to go home and then process? And number two, when I work with people therapeutically, I help them process because a lot of people lack skills to process. So let's take the first one. Let's do one at a time. What about when there's so many that we tuck away in our day? How do we address those? Yeah. Yeah. And the nice thing about the stress response is that it's generalized. So those, those three minutes that I'm telling you, you need, you can process all of them right there just by letting it all out. So uh, I'm a big fan of, of exercise. I know, I know guys, I know people keep telling me like, eat right, exercise and get good sleep. Yeah. And it's so important for so many reasons, but the exercise piece, stress puts you in a, in a heightened physiological state. 
So you're like, you're amped up, your heart is racing, you're, you're sweating, right? Your mouth is drying up. You, you feel that stress. Um, get yourself back to that point. And the easiest way to do that is through exercise. So if you can get yourself back into the physiological state of stress, when you're processing all of those stressors, they can come out more naturally. And so, you know, three minutes of jump roping or punching things or, or go for a run around the block or even as a walk, um, but get yourself sort of into that elevated space to allow all of those things to come out. And it doesn't, you don't have to take a, a really long time and draw it out and process every little detail of it. You can just say, that really ticked me off. God, that was unfair. I'm so angry. <sighs> like, let the emotions come out with your body as you're putting your body into that physiological state. So that's, that's the first thing. Love it. Okay. So the, the second question, sorry. The I know. Was, I, I was <laughs> like, am I going to remember the second one? Cause one at a time, the second piece then is about the skills. Like, so some people really struggle yeah. having the skills to process. Yeah. So what do you say then? Yeah. They, don't, they can't always access the therapist. Yeah. I mean, the, that's really the, the step three is the curiosity piece. Um, so I have a whole list of questions that I'm, I'm happy to share with your audience, right. but really it's about trying to be curious with yourself. What am I feeling right now? And, and that in and of itself is a really hard question. What am I feeling? We, we get conditioned to ignore our feelings all throughout the day, especially teachers. Like you have to pee, my gosh, you've got 90 minutes of, of your class, right? You, you gotta ignore that. All of these biofeedback things, like you're hungry. You don't have time to eat right now. Ignore it. So we push down all of these, these necessities. So simply giving yourself time and space to feel, to get curious with who you are and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing, I think is, is probably the most therapeutic thing you can do. Mm -hmm. um, so even if you don't have the exact right tool, start asking questions. What am I feeling right now? Hmm. And sit with that for a minute. Like even, even doing a body scan is something that is really useful. So one of the things I, I ask people to do is to just tense up all of their muscles in their face. Like you're squeezing your face, you're kind of clenching your jaw and then release and sort of move through your body. So clench every piece of your arms and your fists and really tighten up in your shoulders and then release. And what you'll notice is you'll start to feel where you're holding tension in your body. And you can use that same kind of technique with your, with your own thoughts, right? Like, am I holding tension with that? No, that thought's easy. Let it go. Am I holding tension? Oh, ooh, that hit some, that hit a nerve. And just kind of feel how it feels. Um, that that sort of physiological processing through your body is really important. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you just gave people permission <clears throat> to do that, right? Because we oh gosh, yeah. right? we're so we're we're in in such a culture where some people like when I do professional development, some people say, well, if we talk more about this with kids, then now they're talking more about it. And now they have all these problems that, that they weren't going to have before. So how right. would you address that? I already know how I would address that. I, I mean, look, here's, here's what I'll say. I know <laughs> I'm going to make some people angry with this, but the, the idea that like, we just don't talk about certain things, religion, sex, uh, politics, those are like always off the table. Right. And all that does is it makes them more taboo feelings, you know, emotions, processing like mental health the more we put it on a shelf the more we don't talk about it the more taboo it becomes the more distant it becomes for us and the less healing and processing and actually good conversations we can have to begin addressing the problems within it uh to me i think it's silly not to do, not to be talking about these things because all it does is it creates more of this this wall of denial within us and within one another so um so look i mean i think I think part of the issue too is that we do only talk about 
the negative consequences of, of mental health. When you hear mental health, you think depression, you think yeah. anxiety. Right. Mental health is that. And it's joy, it's abundance, it's happiness, it's community. And I think sometimes we get in a rut and we don't talk enough about the positive side of mental health. Um, we're too busy like addressing the problems. So fixing the problems with mental health, the depression, the anxiety, the stress, the all of that. Well, do we have to label it as good or bad? Stress right. can be a good thing too. So instead of saying, well, depression, it's bad, we have to fix it. What if we looked at depression and said, wow, that is, that is a really adaptable thing for your body to be doing in this time if you're feeling like this. And then what's the opposite side of that? Right? How, do we, how do we explore this without labeling good, bad, or, you know, I, I don't know. That's a, I no, went down a crucial. rabbit hole there. But, but that's, I think that's really critical to these conversations. And, and not having them doesn't, doesn't solve anything, in my opinion. Absolutely. And talking about it actually makes us learn about it. Clearly we're learning even right now. For sure. And, and so what I want you to share with people then, Rebecca, is you talked about adaptability and you talked about stress. So let's talk about yeah. how stress is actually essential for our kids to learn to oh, deal with gosh. it. So they can learn to adapt and grow. It's, it's so important. Yeah. And again, like part of this is that is that label of like stress is bad, stress is bad. No, no, no. Stress actually leads to a happier, more fulfilled, more purposeful life. If we don't have stressful experiences, uh, well, first of all, you're dead because a dead person's goal is to have zero stress. That's the only people that don't have stress. But if you actually look at stress and performance, it's, a, it's an inverse U. So think of a normal curve, right? If we have no stress, we don't have any reason to get out of bed in the morning. We have nothing to achieve. We have nothing that, that feels exciting and, and challenging. If we have too much stress on the opposite side, that's kind of that distress, like, it's, it's overwhelming. I can't do it. And your performance on either side suffers, but having stress, having those failures that, that we get to learn, that we get to push ourselves and go, Oh, this is a not yet moment for me. I can't, I can't do this yet. Huh? Then I get to get curious about it. Well, what do I need? What are the skill sets that I need? Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to study in order to get to that next step? That's what actually drives purpose and meaning in our lives, which is, the reverse of what most parents and teachers and people who love one another want us to do. Like, we're like, oh, let me solve all the problems. By solving all the problems, uh, you're depriving that person of actually having a really rich life. So it's it can be really difficult as a parent, as a step-parent myself, like that is, of course you want to go in and you want to like solve and, and fix all the things and like kiss all the boo-boos away. And <laughs> yeah. actually, you know, those, those learnings really make us um, resilient and, and have, um, have a meaningful life. So yeah, kind of try and reframe that. It's great when you talk about reframing <clears throat> that, because I think a lot of people are like, okay, great. I want that. But those, yeah. the way that shows up, it's scary or it feels threatening, or it feels way too overwhelming for me to see my students or my kids mm -hmm. look like that or act like that. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Mm -hmm. So what, what would you say to people? Who asked that question? Yeah, I think I think um, one of the things that I always ask myself is, what if I don't? Right? It's easy to say, what if I do? What are the costs of this action? Well, I might fail. I might look foolish. I might do this. I might. Uh, what if I don't? What if I say exactly where I am? Because that is a choice as well. And too often, I don't. I don't think we consider the like. Well, what if I? What if I don't make that option? What if I don't try? Um, and the reality of it is, those are much scarier versions, mm. I think of myself, uh, yeah. if I don't give it my all, if I don't go all in, if I don't make that attempt, 
Um, those are regrets that I, I don't want to have to live with and I don't want others to have to live with. So I'd say, I'd say if it doesn't scare you a little bit, probably raise the bar on your challenge. Um, awesome. I'll, oh. <laughs> I'll give a quick example. I, I typically do keynotes for, for corporations and associations and I, I love it. I mean, it's, it's such a joy. Um, and I, <laughs> I just, this, this last month was like, you know what? I need a challenge. I rented out a theater here in Greenville, South Carolina. It's a 400 person theater. I don't know anybody in this town. It's my hometown. And part of the reason I wanted to do it was like, I need to know people and I need to fill that theater the next month. And I'm panicked about it. I'm having this like absolute stress, like, Oh, you want to talk stress? I've, I've absolutely created stress in my life. And that's a good thing. Like when I feel the fear, I'm like, oh, you're doing something. Yeah, this is a new challenge. So I think seeking that fear sometimes is, is actually kind of important. I love that again, too, because so many people are stepping out <laughs> or avoiding when stuff gets really tough. And so yeah. I, I think they need your message. Clearly they need your message. So how do we, how do we get that back to them every time they feel like this is too much, this is too much. How do we get them from stepping out or avoiding? Uh, again, I, I do the team out of three technique and I do it for myself. Like literally every day it's, it's asking myself, is it a tiger? Can it kill you? Can it kill and eat you? No, no, no. Okay. Then let me, let me do three minutes of screaming terror. Let me talk through all of these voices in my head that are going to tell me that everything is going to go wrong and I'll look like a fool. And then, um, I'm going to take two breaths. I'm going to clear my head and I'm say, what can I learn from this? When 20 people show up to my 500 person event, what did I learn about myself? What did I, what did I learn about putting on an event? What will I do differently next time? How can I, like, I think every, I think every opportunity is, or every stressful moment is an opportunity to build or build or betray ourselves, right? And so often we're willing to betray ourselves uh, rather than take the chance at building. And, and that to me is a shame because at the end of the, your lifetime, you basically fall into your grave holding onto a clean onto all these masks of who you who you thought you should be in that moment. Rather than building yourself and taking the risk of look, if 20 people show up, gosh, if two people show up to this event, I'm gonna learn so much. And you know what people will say about me? Nothing. They won't care. They won't care. Nobody's gonna say, wow, she failed miserably at that. Nobody's thinking about you nearly as much as you think they are. Um, and if they are saying, oh my gosh, she failed miserably, that's a person I don't need in my life because all of my friends, even if I do you know, fail miserably by having two people show up, are gonna go, wow, that was so brave. What a bold decision to put your neck out there. I couldn't have done that. Yeah. Like that's the example that I wanna set again and again and again because. What's the worst that happens? Most of the worst that happens is in our heads. Oh yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. So why <laughs> in the heck do you think we have not evolved uh, to get to that place yeah. to realize our environment is not full of saber-toothed tigers? Why do you think we haven't evolved? <laughs> I ask uh, because unfortunately biology is really slow. It's slow, right? It's slow. So if you think about it, technology came into our lives like really, like in the form of, of Zoom communications and cell phones and things like that in my generation, like a single generation, my parents didn't have stuff. I didn't have a cell phone growing up, you know? So this is really a, a massive shift. 
from saber-toothed tigers till now, you're talking like a couple generations. That is not enough time for our brains to go, oh, we live in a safe, abundant time. Oh, okay. Like the industrial revolution just happened. That was, you know, this is, this is a really new thing biologically. And so it's going to take us uh, some time to get there. Now, big asterisks, because I think this is really, really cool. Um, we are, in fact, our own wizards. And here's what I mean by that. So I think most of us spend most of our lives looking for the wizard behind the curtain. Uh, if, you'll, if you'll remember Wizards of Oz, right? Yeah. Following this yellow brick road that people laid out for us to say, okay, I know I, I just have to get to this person or this thing or this achievement, then I will have made it. When in reality, we're all Dorothy, we're all wearing those ruby slippers the whole dang time. And it's up to us to decide, oh, I have the power. And so to the some extent, we actually have the power to change our brains right now in this modern environment to adapt to this modern environment. Um, now you're fighting a hundred thousand plus years of human evolution, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you're not capable of it. So we do and can and have retrained human brains to adapt to the modern environment, but that's a single individual, which means you and you and you all have to do the work. It's not just naturally inherited. Um, so it's tough. But it's totally doable because we know that our brains are tra are trainable. We do it all the time. We can drive cars. Do you know how hard, how complex it is to drive a car when you think about it? Like your reflex, you're going at sixty miles an hour. That's your insane. reflexes, you've got you've got other cars coming at you. You've got pigeons coming over across the road. You've, you've got speedometers. You have to pay attention to all these things. That's that's wild. So your brain is capable of adapting to new technologies. But we have to be the ones driving it. We have to recognize that we're we're wearing those ruby slippers and we have an opportunity to to shape our brains as we want. Okay, so I want you to picture the future then. I want you to Ooh. imagine a future. So I have this dream <sighs> that we can reach. People like you and me are reaching all of these individuals. And I target mm -hmm. our schools and I know you do too, but also corporations, lots of people in masks, right? Yeah. Imagine the shift we will make in our society when we really do take that ownership on and, and empower, like to empower ourselves, not to feel like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. It's I get to do this. What, yeah. what, is, what is our society capable of when we get there? You know, I mean, I could name a thousand incredible advances that we might have. I think the biggest advance that we will have is just peace. And I don't just mean like peace from wars, although I do mean that too. I mean like generalized peace rather than generalized anxiety, which I, I'd say 99% of the population has. It's just being able to sit with yourself, with your thoughts and not constantly feel like you're on a treadmill and you can't keep up. Um, I think that's the biggest shift. And with that comes all the wealth and happiness in the world has to offer. Um, yeah. That'd be a nice future. I'm, I'm hoping it we sure would there. be. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm living that future. I feel like I'm, I'm a part of that future. I know you are. I know that your listeners are. Um, and it's hard work. It's hard work, but man, you guys, educators, you're, you're in one of the most powerful positions, despite the fact that nobody recognizes it. You are wizards. You are pointing to the Ruby slippers on each and everybody's each and every person's um, feet and you're helping people to see it. So uh, thank you for that work. And and I'm sorry that it's not more recognized because it is, it is such a powerful position. 
it really is such a powerful position. I mean, they can, people in these roles can change the trajectory for a kid's, a single kid's life, like their entire life. Like, I mean, there's yeah. so many examples. Yeah. It's really for, exciting. For, and, and for communities and for the, the future, like the entire future, I feel like it is in our educators' hands and, uh, yeah. and we don't very, we don't recognize that very well. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree. Thank you. Okay. So people clearly need to hear your message because listen, you all, if you're just hearing pieces of this, imagine an entire stage, an entire hour, just hearing all the things you have to say, which I've heard. I've heard. Um, so Rebecca, how do people reach out to you? My goodness. They need to know. Um, the easiest thing is just to jump on my website, which is Rebecca dot com. Um, and from there you can find, you know, places to reach out and contact me just to say hello. You can find quizzes, you can find a course. We've got a master class on there, which is a 52 module, like insanity. Um, everything that I know spewed into you, uh, this really <laughs> cool course with all kinds of goodies. Um, or you can book me to speak. Like if you have, if you want to bring me in to speak, I would be honored to come talk to, to your teachers, to your staff, to the administration, to your students, um, yeah, that's you can you can find me. I'm very I'm very Googleable. So reach out or find me on all the socials at Dr. Rebecca Heist. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, you have books, you have resources. These two, oh, yeah. Your, oh a- my gosh, <laughs> talk to people about instinct. That is oh, so powerful. Talk to people about that. Gosh, thanks. Uh, so instinct is my book. Um, it was published with Kensington Press a couple years ago, and uh, which is weird. It's two years. It's been two years. Wow. Oof. I don't know how. Uh, so instinct is all about these seven instincts that were really useful for our ancestors and really hold us back today. So everything like fearing people that look different, act different, sound different, that was useful for our ancestors. You're outside of my tribe. You're probably going to kill me and eat all my resources. Today in a globalized world, like terrible instinct to have, but really important that we recognize that we all have it. Because I think there's a lot of shame and blame and guilt that goes into all of these instincts that we have. Our, our instinct for variety, whether that's in partners and food and like we have all of these really interesting instincts that can get us into trouble in the modern day. So that's what the book is about. Um, and I, I think it's it was a really fun book to write. I've used a lot of my personal stories and examples in it and uh, hopefully hopefully I'll enjoy it. And it's in a couple of different languages. Uh, so, Yeah. It'd be fun to read as a, as a, as a group. Uh, if you have like a, a language teaching class, for example, be a fun one. That would be great. It really would be great on a lot of different platforms. It, it would a, a great book study. It'd be great to use for a college course. There's so much you could do with it. Thanks. Social sciences. Yeah. So thank you. All right. I know we're out of time. So thank you so much. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with that we have not covered? Oh my goodness. I think that's it. Uh, I guess the biggest thing is I always tell people this and it's really rare for people to do it, but don't hesitate to reach out. You know, I, I really am an accessible person and I like to, I like to help any way that I can. So uh, reach out, ask me your questions. Uh, I'll do the very best I can to help and uh, keep doing the incredible work that you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Heiss. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Oh gosh. Thanks for having me on, Charlie. It was a pleasure.